Hello, and welcome to RBC Disruptors, our ongoing conversation about how we can reimagine our economy in these times of unprecedented change. I'm your host, John Stackhouse. This recession is different. It's different, of course, because it's been so sudden and severe. And it's different because it's hit every corner of the economy, every business, and pretty much every one of us in different ways. It's also different because of that mobile device in your hand. This is a mobile recession. It's really the first mobile recession, the first economic shock since smartphones began to transform and disrupt everything. It's why so much of the economy was able to switch to Amazon and Shopify and Uber Eats overnight. And it's why so many small businesses were not able to withstand that sudden, severe collapse. There are more than 1 million small businesses in Canada, and according to the Business Development Bank, more than half of them lack the digital savvy to thrive in the kind of world that we live in now. They were the kinds of companies that didn't have the tools or technology to withstand the onslaught that hit us all in March. Now, I know not many restaurants or apparel makers or fitness studios or piano instructors could have survived March on their own, no matter how digitally savvy they were. But too many businesses suffered more than they had to because they weren't in step with the digital world around them. They didn't have digital relationships with their customers or smart workflows that could help them work around social distancing or serious data strategies to help them pivot with the market. When we surveyed our small business clients in April, we found two thirds of them had lost at least 50% of their revenue and many weren't sure they'd make it through summer. And as we talked with those owners, we realized they'd need relief to survive, but they'd also need a big pivot to thrive because the post-COVID economy is going to be different. It will be more digital. There will be more distance. Which is why we embarked on an RBC economics and thought leadership study, which we've just published, to explore the depths of this small business recession and prospects for a digital recovery. We've called it Small Business Big Pivot. And we've put together this podcast to share some stories and explore how small business can join the League of Disruptors. I'll talk with Lori Darlington, RBC's Vice President of Small Business, and also hear from four bold business owners who have transformed their companies during the COVID crisis. Lori, welcome to RBC Disruptors. Thanks very much, John. You've been a banker for more than 20 years. You've seen many crises and you've been at the forefront of the digital evolution and revolution of both banking and small business. What's been the biggest surprise of this crisis for you? John, I think the biggest surprise for me was just how suddenly everything ground to a halt. And I think it's been the fact that this has been both an economic and a public health crisis that has hit at the same time. And that's really what I think has made it so challenging and so complex for small business owners. On a more positive note, something that has just continued to amaze me through the crisis is the creativity and the innovation that we've seen come from our small business owners as they've had a pivot. Yeah, it's been a real kind of blindside experience probably for everyone. You talk to small business owners, operators, and entrepreneurs across the country in all sorts of sectors. Is there a common thing that they're telling you? I think that conversation that tends to go across all different segments of small business owners 
is just how challenging it is right now to deal with all of the uncertainty and the pace of change. I don't think any of us would have predicted back in mid-March when we initially went into that lockdown that it would continue for this extended period of time. At the end of April, that same survey you'd mentioned with our small business customers, we found that nine out of 10 business owners had no idea what the future was going to hold for them. And that's a really scary number. And the challenging part is that uncertainty is going to persist. I think we're all starting to come to the realization we probably won't ever go back to the way that things were before this crisis hit. I wonder if you can give us a sense of what small business is in the country. I find when I mention small business, people often immediately think of the corner store or you know their favorite boutique, but small business is also software firms, it's mining suppliers, it's manufacturers. It really is the economy. What do you think we need to know about small business that maybe we don't? We tend to not recognize and appreciate the diversity of small business within Canada. And it really is truly the backbone of our economy. There are approximately 1.2 million small businesses in Canada, and that represents 98% of all businesses in Canada. So it's just an incredible part of our economy. The unfortunate thing is that COVID has hit small business the hardest out of all of the different business segments. When you take a look at the um, job loss rates, small firms have almost doubled the rate of job losses as some of our mid-size and large-size firms. And some of the factors that come into this is small businesses generally operate on a smaller profit margin, and they don't have the cash reserves on hand that so many larger organizations might have to be able to pivot. And I would just say that it's more important than ever right now for all of us to continue to rally around small business. That's a really interesting point about the lack of cash reserves. I seem to recall that in Business 101, that's one of the early lessons. Always keep, what was it, six months of cash on hand. Probably good for uh, for households too. Why is it that so many small businesses have been operating on such thin reserves? When you think about how a small business stands up initially, there's a lot of upfront costs that go into that. When you take a look at most small businesses and the reason why it was so great to see the government move as quickly as they did with the first government relief program, it's generally small businesses have a couple months of cash reserves. So it's really challenging for them to to handle some of the extended closed doors that we have here. It also makes it hard, even in good times, for firms to invest in technology to make those transitions or when shocks come to make those pivots. You make pivots when there are opportunities too, but you need uh, reserves or access to reserves usually to make that switch. As we've noted in this report, small business, big pivot, a lot of Canadian companies just weren't ready for the end of the physical economy. They couldn't leap into the virtual economy as quickly as perhaps they might have wanted to. What's your assessment of the digital readiness of Canadian companies? I think it varies quite a bit. And I think there's a number of different factors that come into play here. One of the drivers that I think is reflective of where we're at from our small business, could be attributed to the demographics of the entrepreneurs that we have here in Canada. In an RBC poll for small business we did um, in 2019, we found that 42% of small business owners are baby boomers, while only 24% are millennials. And when you think about how some of these younger generations have grown up with digital, grown up with technology, they interact with it and manage it in ways that generations like our own, John, you know, haven't been able to do. So I think the demographic shift as we start seeing in that base of entrepreneurs within Canada is going to shift. And I think more businesses will lead with digital than what I think we see today in the mix that we have of small businesses. 
And, and maybe this crisis accelerates that kind of generational shift. And that's a great setup, Lori, for our first story. We're going to hear about Nixware and how its founder, Joanna Griffiths, dynamic Toronto entrepreneur turned crisis into opportunity. Joanna started her company in 2012, not long after the last crisis, and was already focusing on online opportunities, both for efficiencies, but also the ability to personalize the customer experience across thousands of customers. It's kind of like the Netflix model. Here's the story of how she pivoted when COVID hit. Nix is a direct-to-consumer women's intimate apparel brand, and our mission is to empower all women to be unapologetically free. And really spent the first years of our business focused on selling wholesale. So built out a network of retail partners and was selling products to about seven or 800 retail locations across North America. And in 2016, made the decision to completely switch business strategies and to become a direct-to-consumer brand selling 100% online. Since making that decision, which was in the fall of 2016, we grew, I think, just under 4,000% in three years. I think one of the interesting things that's happened with COVID is that we had a lot of projects in the pipeline that, for one reason or another, just kept getting bumped down the priority list. And so one of the most notable would be launching virtual fittings. We've seen firsthand in our retail stores just how important it was to have that face-to-face interaction. And so not letting the absence of physical stores get in our way, we rolled out a virtual fit program where we have a bunch of our team members that help our customers over video conference. They have the entire collection with them and are really able to create that personal connection and offer a level of service and support. And so being a company that operates with physical products, a lot of what we would do would be product testing, product fittings. When COVID happened, we had to kind of rethink the way that we approach that. So every year we do a warehouse sale, but obviously that was out of the question. So we took a bit of a gamble and quickly pivoted to make that warehouse sale be online. We built out two new websites for it, and we had 35,000 people shopping on the site within the first five minutes. We had 5,000 people checking out simultaneously. For me, it just really speaks to the power of e-commerce. I can't even think about what size of a space you would need to have 5,000 checkout agents working at the same time. And we sold more in 60 minutes than we did in all of Black Friday of last year, which was historically our best-selling day as a company since our inception. In terms of what people should be focusing on, there's really interesting data out about how the crisis has basically accelerated the digital and e-commerce landscape by 10 years. And so regardless of company size, if it's big or small, the most common theme that I'm seeing is that people really want and need to understand how to reach their customers online. It's one of the biggest barriers to entry in terms of building and scaling a sustainable online business is figuring out the unit economics and platforms that make sense for you to reach your customers. And so I think there's a whole digital literacy movement that needs to happen if we really want to see our Canadian institutions, both big and small, come out of this stronger. I love how she saw her sales grow 10x simply by putting her warehouse sales online. It's like getting a Black Friday every day and really gives you a sense of the opportunity for scale when you focus on digital. 
One of the key issues, Lori, that we always hear about among Canadian small business is this idea of scale. Canadian companies don't grow fast enough or big enough. What's your sense of why we don't see more businesses scaling more quickly? I think a couple of the reasons behind this is scaling your business often does mean adding more complexity to that business model. I think it's also reflective of the small business owner's motivation and their comfort with digital because often scaling does mean taking your business online or leveraging different digital assets. What I find fascinating about where we're at right now in the middle of this crisis is that we've got a couple of different factors at play. While it's never been easier to bring your business online, there's so many turnkey solutions out there to help small businesses get online more easily than it would have ever been in the past. And we're also in a unique position whereby customers are looking for that digital option. So I think the two of those combined, I think we're going to see some massive adoption and some real change in terms of how customers and businesses want to operate. There's probably a lot of business owners listening to this thinking, yeah, I'd love to get on with that scale opportunity, but right now I got to survive. And as you say, it's going to be a bit of a grind for the foreseeable future. You've been involved in connecting a lot of those companies to a lot of the relief programs that have come out of government over the last three months. What, in your view, has been most helpful? So in the early days, one of the things I was really pleased to see was how quickly the governments worked on focusing how to get the money to those who needed it the most, and that's its small business. There was a lot of tension as it was coming together to figure out the balance between getting it perfect on day one versus getting the money out more quickly to some of the folks that needed it and continuing to expand. The one thing we do hear from small business owners, though, is there are quite a few of them that with all of the uncertainty that we've got through this crisis, they are not looking or comfortable taking on additional debt. And it all comes back to this uncertainty. There's a lot of discussion around whether demand will ever get back to what it was before. So it's difficult for small businesses to consider how they need to help their business survive through this crisis. But then at the same time, they've got to be careful not to take on more debt they'll be able to handle once we get through this crisis. I think it's fair to say the relief programs have been helpful, but As we look to reopening, the challenges are going to continue to change for entrepreneurs. Lori, what do you think we need to keep in mind and what do governments need to think hard about as they try to help entrepreneurs pivot to a reopening? It's going to be really important that we understand even as the reopening starts that small businesses are going to continue to be under enormous pressure. Some will have gone months without any revenue. Others will have taken on new costs to enable social distancing so that they are able to reopen. One area that Canada has been relatively less generous than some other countries has been in providing grants to small businesses. Now, the Canadian Emergency Business Account does have up to $10,000 that's forgivable. But again, it comes back to the business owner's comfort in taking on additional debt. We're going to hear now from another entrepreneur, Joe Chabin of Winnipeg, who saw his ice cream business shut down overnight because of COVID. And it was those government programs that bought him time. Time is so critical to entrepreneurs in this kind of crisis. It meant he didn't have to shut down entirely or think about bankruptcy. He had time to rethink his business model and figure out a pivot. Here's what he and his wife did. 
So Shaban Ice Cream, we started in December 2017 on the first day of winter. We wanted to start a new business because we wanted to stay in Winnipeg because of my wife's family. They were coming to Canada as refugees. And at the time I was working at a cheese factory and I wanted to open my own business and help my wife's family have employment when they come. I said, let's do uh, ice cream, but let's do it more unique. Let's get raw milk from the farm and pasteurize everything on site and have all natural flavors. And we wanted the customer to have like an ice cream experience. When COVID-19 hit us in March, my partner, Daryl, and my wife, Zainab, we decided to strategize on what should we do next. And then Daryl told me that his friend told him about an ice cream subscription. And we were like, this totally makes sense. This would help us, number one, know exactly what our revenue would be in the following month, because these are subscribers that dedicate to ice cream every month. And we were like on the fence. Is it going to work? Is it not? So what we did is we had like a little soft lunch of like 20 people and you get two pints. You can choose any flavor you want for $20 a month. We'll come and deliver ice cream to your house. I was hoping if we can generate 80 customers from our launch. And my partner was like hoping for 150. And within two days, we had about 400 customers. Right now, we're around 1,500. We're really excited where we are right now. We went from potentially going bankrupt and now having a sustainable company with federal uh, wage subsidy that's helping us right now. Uh, we're hoping if we reach 2,000, once this wage subsidy is gone, we can maintain our business and stay alive. Before the pandemic, we would generate a lot of money at this time because of the weather. And we would normally generate from May, June, July, and August enough revenue for us to sustain our business for the whole year. But now we're going to be losing that revenue. So for other business owners, uh, I would say trying to think of outside of the box on what is unique to my business and how I can give it to my customers in a different way. It's going to be very hard getting customers into your store. Somehow we have to get to them. When I listen to Joe, I'm both excited and kind of bummed out because I was actually supposed to be in Winnipeg this month for the 150th anniversary celebrations of Manitoba. I was secretly hoping to hear the Guess Who maybe one more time, return to the Human Rights Museum, which is a must-see for every Canadian. Now I really want to get there to try some of Joe and Zainab's ice cream. It'll be prairie berry for me. Uh, Lori, what about you? Hands down, my first scoop is going to be the mojito mint patty. <laughs> Sounds fantastic. <laughs> I love how Joe describes the ice cream experience. You can hear the passion in his voice, and it's that passion for the product that is the heartbeat of every good entrepreneur. They live for their business and for their products. But this idea of experience is going to change as the economy reopens, and many entrepreneurs are going to need to rethink what they call experience. And one of the issues we discuss in the report is the challenge of reopening. Many small businesses, they don't have the resources for PPE, or they won't be able to run at 50% capacity, as may be the case for many restaurants and shops. And Laurie, I'm wondering what owners and operators need to think through 
as they struggle with this balance of health, safety, and economics, and having to adjust the fundamental customer experience of the business that they've built. Scenario planning is going to be key as we look to move forward. Owners really need to understand what their financials are going to look like as they start to reopen. As you say, John, so much of the fundamentals of how folks are running their business are going to change and be challenged. In some cases, businesses are going to need additional employees that they'll need at the front for screening protocols for customers, employees. Others will need to do some scenario plans to understand if they open up 50%, what is that going to look like? And there's a lot of questions around what customer demand is going to come back to. So restaurants, for example, I'm allowed to open up 50% capacity. Am I going to get enough customers that are comfortable coming back and coming into my venue? So there's so many different questions. So scenario planning is going to be really important. I love the story of Joe and Zanab in terms of how they created this whole new source of revenue with their subscription model. The interesting thing is as business owners start stepping into this reopening process, they're going to need to decide whether they can maintain some of those new sources of revenue that they've got in place now or how they pivot to be able to take the time and really be sure that they're flexible and figure out how to reopen in a way that they're taking care of themselves, they're comforting and their employees feel safe, as well as customers and communication is going to be critical across all of those stakeholders. Yeah, we can't stress that point enough. Always communicate with your employees, but also with your customers so you don't lose touch with them. We also can't forget about the opportunity for global thinking. And I know that sounds probably a bit crazy in this environment when everyone's kind of hunkered down and thinking about survival, though going global may not seem like the best idea for 2020. But you know what? It's exactly in those moments when the bold take on opportunities and the world is going to be consuming a lot more of what a lot of Canadian companies produce. Given the realities, though, of the current environment, should SMEs really be thinking global right now? I think that Canadians are going to be taking a fairly conservative approach to reentry. But the interesting thing about this crisis, as we've touched on a couple of times, is that it has accelerated digital adoption in a way that none of us could have ever predicted. And this is the digital adoption by both businesses and customers. And at the speed that it's going, the, the powerful thing about going digital is that it really does open up a business so that they have the opportunity to to reach so many more customers and can easily extend beyond their local neighborhood. So I think it is going to, by the nature of this, you know, digital revolution and challenges with the, the physical economy that we've got right now, I think that it is something that small business owners should be thinking about. And as you say, it's there's never a better time to be bold and pushing your business. Often you can go global without leaving home. That's what the service economy is about. That's what the so-called intangibles economy opens up in terms of opportunities. And it's what Serena Nikolai did from her Zumba studio in Vernon, BC. Here's how she and her business, Soul Studio, pivoted. My business is strictly focused on group fitness. COVID-19 has been kind of a blessing in disguise for my studio. It was March 17th that I decided to close my doors 
And it was one of those days where I sat in the studio all by myself and pretty much had to kick into survival mode because I wasn't going to lose what I've done for the last five years. And COVID-19 has really brought out what can happen in a situation like this. And since then, I was live, virtually live streamed three days later. And since then, have offered 100 classes in April and 100 classes in May all different types of classes and all available live stream and have also gained some members throughout Canada and have even had Australia and Brazil take part in some of my classes. So when I first started Soul Studio, one of my main goals was to have Soul Studio run without me. So in order to do that, I researched everything that I could do in terms of apps and online bookings. So since day one, I've had trained people to download our Soul Studio app, to purchase all passes online, as well as to check into classes online. When COVID-19 hit, I credit the fact that my members were able to pivot as quickly as me because they've already been through the type of technology that I've put them through. What I really tried to understand was what is it that connect people to my studio and why do they come back? And then in the end, I realized that it was the type of connection that we've created. And it was very amazing to see that we could still have that same type of connection live stream. As I've mentioned too, we have gained members all throughout Canada. And I was like, so what am I going to do with them who have been joining us for the last two months? But I can't hold a class with my cameras sitting in the middle of my studio. So digitally, I had to make a decision on how am I going to take this to the next level. So I kind of drew out exactly what I wanted. I needed two cameras. I still wanted the virtual class to connect with the class coming in. So I found a company in Vancouver and instantly he knew exactly what I needed. They were able to come and install every single piece of equipment that I needed. They were there just last Friday, and I was able to have my first class in studio and virtual this morning at 9 a.m. Everything I envisioned just came alive, and the connection with the people on the TV screen and the connection with the people in the studio, it was like magic. I myself haven't had any assistance for government loans. I still had to pay my lease. As a small business, we kind of didn't get a lot of help that we could have gotten help. But if you can get your business online, that to me is going to be your saving grace. And I'm not saying that the next two months are going to be easy peasy for me. It's still going to be a grind. But at least now I've got a new path on how I can focus my business. If you haven't been to Vernon, it's in the Okanagan Valley. And for me, if you have to pick anywhere on earth to be during a lockdown, it's a great place to be. When I heard Serena tell her story, I was immediately fascinated by her description of going into survival mode. Every entrepreneur has that instinct and you can tell Serena would do just fine on any episode of Survivor. But a lot of businesses right now are having serious questions about survival. And Laurie, I'm wondering what your best piece of advice is for those owners who are staring at a very uncertain future. We've heard this through the stories of the entrepreneurs that we've heard them through this podcast is to rethink how you need to connect with your customer in a different way. I have always believed one of the superpowers of an entrepreneur is the confidence and then the conviction that they have in what they're doing. And I believe it's this determination that will really help them not just survive, but thrive as we pass through this crisis. 
I want to ask you a final question about youth. It's a big priority for RBC. And this is also a moment, as you mentioned earlier, we may be in the middle of a demographic change for entrepreneurs in this country. And that could be a good thing to take us through the 2020s and beyond. But we also have to be mindful that there is a new generation who've seen their world turned upside down. The 2020s will likely be very different than the 2010s for, for all of us, but especially for entrepreneurs. And I'm wondering for young Canadians who may be looking or thinking about starting their own businesses, what do they need to think about now? I think that adaptability has never been more important, especially as the pace of change in the world that we live in just continues to accelerate every year. I think that it will be interesting because in some ways, I think it's going to be easier for a small business who's just setting up their operations right now or over the next year. They'll have a bit of an advantage because they will structure their business in a way that recognizes so many of the physical restrictions that we have right now and some of the costs that go along with the physical economy in this post-COVID world. So I think that we'll see fewer businesses over time operating only in the physical economy. And I think we'll see more businesses extending where possible into the digital. And that's a great call to action for young Canadians who may be looking at this crisis and uncertain about what the future holds for them, but they can make the future. That's the best part of starting your own business. You're in charge. It's high risk, but the rewards are like uh, none other. Lori, I want to thank you so much for being part of RBC Disruptors and finish with the story of a Calgary entrepreneur, Denise Kruger, who launched her business, Style Encore, just last fall. Talk about a trial by fire. And here she tells us about her big pivot as she had to figure out Facebook Live and a digital future on the fly. I own a franchise called Style Encore. It's a resale business. We buy people's items and then we resell them. I started in my business in September 2019 with the grand opening. It was really going really well. And then COVID hit. When COVID hit, sales were pretty low. So then we had to shut down and we had to just kind of rethink about what we were going to do. So we started doing the Facebook Live videos. So I would actually just get a rack of clothing or even bags. And I would just show each item. And I actually felt like it was on the shopping network. <laughs> and I would just say what item was and speak to the customers. And some people would say it was their little guilty pleasure. I'm going to go shopping. I get to shop this. And I knew that. We were able to have a connection. And I could like say, hello, Stacy, or hello, Steven. And then if they wanted it, they would message me afterwards. I could take e-transfer credit card and pay for it that way and then do curbside pickup. And I would just put a little green bench outside my store and that was my curbside pickup. I was very surprised at how the customers responded to it and got a lot of great feedback from my customers. And then I think it helped me to understand my inventory and to take a look at what we really needed in our store. So really, it only took maybe two days of being, okay, what am I going to do? Oh, no, my business is at risk. And then I just basically went into high gear and just went for it and tried to remain positive. One of the things I did find with myself is in terms of my own confidence. I didn't even show my face the first few lives. 
I just put like the shirt in front of the camera and was like, hello. And I found that helped me to grow a lot as a person and even a business owner. So I had to really just push myself to even get out there. And then I thought, who cares? I'm just going to do it. There's so many good messages there from Denise that every Canadian entrepreneur can take to heart, especially during these tough times. Stay positive. If you're not positive about your business, no one else is going to be. Stay in high gear. This is a time to accelerate despite all the challenges around you. Stay connected, especially with your customers, but also your employees and those who make your business thrive. And stay confident. As tough as these days and weeks can be, there will be opportunities in the months and years ahead for entrepreneurs who focus on new ways to transform their businesses. It's not going to be an easy time in the months ahead for many entrepreneurs or small business owners, but for many, it's also the exact right time to be looking for change and to be the disruptor. You've been listening to RBC Disruptors, our ongoing conversation about innovation and how we can reimagine the Canadian economy in this time of unprecedented change. Disruptors is presented by the RBC Thought Leadership Group. And today's episode was produced by Quill and Origins Media House. We'd love to hear where you'd like to take the conversation in future episodes. Until next time, I'm John Stackhouse, and this is RBC Disruptors. <laughs>